Welcome to the audio podcast of Believer's House. We are a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church in the city of Halifax, Nova Scotia, called to lead people to Jesus, make them more like Him, and see them lead others to Him. We hope this message you are about to listen to inspires you to become more like Jesus in your thoughts, words, and actions. So today, we're we're wrapping up this series called Wisdom for Crossroads. Uh, Before I get into the message, though, I know that there's some of you that never wait till the end of the service. That once the message is over, you just vanish. (laughs) So um, I'm going to make an announcement before the message, all right? Because I know that this is the time that I can get your attention. This week is Revive. We're starting on Thursday, all right? I want to make sure that everybody gets to hear this. If you're a member of this house, that program, the three-day fast, is our mid-year fasting and prayer, it is not optional. It's not an optional thing. It's not like uh, our prayer marathon that we did that you can choose whether you want to come or not. This one is not optional, okay? We, it, it's an instruction that God has given us to do this, and we are fasting on Thursday, we are fasting on Friday, and we are fasting on Saturday. It is a 6 to 6 fast. It's not a 6 to 12 noon. It's not to 3 o'clock. It is a 6 to 6 fast. I'm emphasizing it because I want us to be as obedient as we can be so that we see God do the things that he has promised that he would do in our midst through that, uh, that event, the, the three days of, of praying and fasting. We'll be here every, every night at 7 p.m. Halifax time. The details are on our social media. You can look up all the times, wherever you are that you are right now, that you are watching from, you can connect with us. But if you are not a, a member of this house, you don't have to fast. Uh-huh. But if, if this is your home church, you have to fast, except there is a genuine you know, reason why you are not, maybe you are, you are pregnant or something. But we know the people that are pregnant and they've delivered their babies, okay? So everybody is invited to be a part of this, all right? So I just wanted to, sh- to stress that before I get into the, the word today so that you don't, you don't have an excuse and say you didn't hear, okay? So that, that's, that's going to be starting on Thursday. So for this series, we're going to wrap up today with... Um, uh, the part three of Wisdom for Crossroads, and I've titled this one Practical Wisdom. Practical Wisdom. This is going to be one of the most important messages you have ever heard me preach. So if you are, if you are anywhere right now, you are, you are multitasking, uh-huh. you are trying to cook and listen to the service, you need to stop what you are doing and pay attention. This is a very critical message that you have to pay attention to, all right? So stay with me. Don't get distracted. Don't, whatever you need to do, do now. If you need to send the link or do anything, do that now. Sit down, t- take your Bible, and let's get, let's get into this together, all right? So we're going to be looking at the life of Solomon. Solomon was at a, at a crossroad at some point in his life. In fact, two times. But we'll look at them uh, one after the other. And we want, to, we want to really begin to understand how did Solomon come about wisdom. All across the world, Solomon is synonymous with wisdom. He is known as the wisest man that ever lived. Uh, even people who don't know or, or have never read the Bible, they know about Solomon. They've heard about him. They know that God gave him this wisdom that the world could not comprehend. That people, like we read last week, were coming from every part of the world to, 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 to listen to him and to see what God was doing in Solomon's life. So let's look at this, um, this story here in Second Chronicles chapter number 1. And let's see what really happened to Solomon. How did he come about this wisdom that everybody is talking about? Second Chronicles chapter number 1 from verse 6. To, to verse 12. We have a lot to read today, so I need you to pay attention, okay? Now, Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him exceedingly. And Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the captains of thousands and of hundreds, to the judges and to every leader in all Israel, the heads of the father's houses, 
Then Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon, for the tabernacle of meeting with God was there, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. But David had brought up the ark of God from Jatah-Jerim to the place David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it, a tent for it at Jerusalem. Verse 5. Now the bronze altar that Bezalel, the son of Uriah, uh, Uri, the son of Or, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord. Solomon and the assembly sought him there. Now, this is where we are going. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. On that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said to God, You have shown great mercy to David my father and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David my father be established, for you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Now, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before these people, for who can judge these great people of yours? Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. This is a very powerful scripture. Now, I want you to pay attention. Okay, just look up for one second. Now, let, let's begin to dissect this, this story. This is a very crucial story. It says that Solomon was at, at this point in his life that he went up, you know, to, to the tabernacle and all of those descriptions. And the Bible says he offered up a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And then the Bible t- says again that on that night, the same night, God came to Solomon and asked him, he said, what do you want me to give to you? What, it was almost as, as though God was reacting, but it wasn't. And just stay with me. What I want to share with you from this passage today will mess up your theology, okay? <laughs> it will mess up what you have known about this for a long time. So just stay here, all right? And let's, let's look at it. Let's look at what the Bible says and not just what we have always known or thought that we, we have always known, all right? Now, why did Solomon ask God for wisdom? This is where I'm going today. And this is probably the most critical point I want to share with you in this message. Why was it that Solomon asked God for wisdom. This was a crossroad that Solomon was at. It was at a point in his life where almost as if God gave him a blank check and said, ask me, because of this thing that you have done, right? Ask me what you want and I will do it for you. And and Solomon said, he needs wisdom and he needs knowledge to rule the people. Why was it that Solomon asked God for wisdom? Many times we have heard this story taught in a way that makes it sound like God gave Solomon a choice and said, um, choose between wisdom and wealth. Uh, and then Solomon said, give me wisdom. Then God said, wow, because you didn't choose money, I'm going to bless you. But that's not what happened. That is not what happened here. In fact, let me, let me leave the scripture up so that you can, you, can see, you, know, you can see some of those passages. That's not what happened here. What happened here was not a multiple choice question. God said to, to, to Solomon, he said, ask me. Let, let, let's go back there. On that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask what shall I give you? And Solomon said, so it wasn't that God, God made a choice or, or gave him a choice or gave him a, an option. 
God simply asked him to say what he wanted. So why did he ask for wisdom? This is the, the truth about this scripture. You see, the reason why Solomon asked God for wisdom was because Solomon had money. Please, you need to stay with me, okay? This is why I said you cannot be distracted with this message. If God came to Solomon, so because we have heard this thing in a way that makes it sound like, oh, Solomon was such a nice guy, he didn't need money, he just asked God for wisdom because he didn't really need money, you know, he preferred wisdom to money. No, no, sir. Solomon was already wealthy. He was already a wealthy man. A poor man cannot ask God for wisdom when God asks him to ask for anything. Listen to me. When God comes to a poor person and says, ask me for anything, the first thing he's going to ask for is money. And that's what I want to show you today. That, you see, this thing called money is such a powerful force that if you, don't, if you don't understand how to handle it, you are going to go astray in life. And this is why I said this message is such an important message. Solomon chose wisdom because he had come to realize that money does not answer all things. So Solomon had already experienced money. He had money. And I'll, I'll describe to you, I, I, I looked it up, all of the things that the Bible describes that Solomon had. Let me give you an example. The feeding budget in the palace of Solomon, according to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 22, how much Solomon spent every day on feeding the people in the palace was $17,000. $17,000 in today's money is what he used to feed every single day. Dude had money. <laughs> so, so he wasn't broke, all right? That's where I'm going to. Now, the temple building offering. One time, Solomon offered a temple building offering that was $10 million dollars. For the building of the temple, he gave $10 million. This offering that you heard that on the altar God asked him, he offered a thousand bonds offering. Theologians agree that the equivalent of that money in today's Canadian dollars is $420,000. $420,000 in one single offering. A poor man does not give that. So I'm trying to get you to understand that this wasn't a choice of wisdom versus money. This was a matter of the heart. And that's where I'm going. This was, God was trying to see what was paramount on Solomon's heart. But Solomon has come to a point now that he had realized, I mean, the, the, the amount of chariots, cars that Solomon had, in today's language it would be called cars, was 1,400, 1,400 cars. That's how much he had. So he wasn't a broke guy. So if Solomon was broke, he probably would have asked for money. But because he wasn't broke, he had come to realize that money was not the most important thing. Because when you are broke, you think that money is going to solve all your problems. And that's the problem with being poor. When you don't have money, you feel that all my problems will be solved if I can just win the lottery. If I just have money, ah, all my problems will go away. But Solomon had come to a point where he realized that when you have money, your problems multiply. And that's when you get to realize that wisdom is the principal thing, not money. So he had come to that point where he had experienced money, and he realized that money doesn't really solve problems. That what solves problems is wisdom. That wisdom is the principal thing. So, when you have money and your problems multiply, you realize that wisdom is more important. People who lack wisdom think that money is the principal thing. But people who have money know that wisdom is the principal thing. I'll say that again. You see, people who lack wisdom, when you want to know somebody who lacks wisdom, is somebody who thinks that money is the, is the principal thing. They think that every situation can be fixed with money. They feel that anytime there's a challenge in their lives, they feel, if I just have money, I will be doing this. If I just have money, I will do this. But the people who have money, they know 
that money is not the principal thing, that wisdom is actually the principal thing, that wisdom is more important than money. So it wasn't that Solomon was this holy guy that just, you know, chose wisdom over money. He had lent it. Now, he was asking God for what he needed to do the job that God had given him. So he realized that, you see, when God gives you an assignment, he said it here, he said, you've shown great mercy to David, my father, and I've made me king in his place. So God had given him this responsibility. Now he was saying to God that, you see, all this money that I have is not really what I need to solve this problem of leading these people. I need something that is superior to money. That thing is called wisdom. So this is why God was impressed with Solomon. Because he didn't ask for more money. You might say, oh, Solomon had money and he didn't ask for money. But you know that the rich always wants to get richer. That's one principle that doesn't change. When you find somebody who has money, they always want more money. Even though they know <laughs> that money is not the biggest thing. But they always want more. So God was impressed with Solomon because Solomon was not asking him for more money. He wasn't saying, increase my wealth. Or saying, give me the life of my enemy. Or saying, give me honor. Which is what people who have a lot of money go after. When somebody who has, who has achieved this status of, of having money, what they now go after is, is something called honor. Look at it. It says, because this was in your heart, and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies. So that's why you see that people who have money now start going after power. They want to run for president. Not because they are going to get any financial gain from it, but because it gives them something that is superior to money. It gives them something that they can't get with money. So they want, they want prestige now. They want people to respect them. They want honor. They want, you know, they want to be able to have a say in things, in decision making. Those are the things that, that come after the issue of money is settled. And this is what I want to challenge you with today. You see, when somebody is living his life without God, when money, significant money comes into the person's hand, it reveals, you know, people say things like money changes people. No, no, that's not what happens. Money doesn't change anybody. Listen, when money enters your hand, I'm not talking about your salary, your paycheck is too small. This, that's not what I'm describing. I'm describing serious money. When money enters your hand, it reveals the person that you are. It doesn't change you. It just shows us who you have always been. But you can't express it now because you don't have money. When, when that money enters your hand, we will know exactly what you're made of. What is inside your heart, we will know. So he knew what to do with money. That's why God gave him this blank check. Because God saw how generous he was. He, I mean, how can you give $420,000 in one night as an offering? How can you do that? Something must be happening in your heart. That's, that's as good as giving something. I mean, you can buy a decent house in this part of the world with that kind of money. And you don't have to pay a mortgage for the rest of your life. You don't have to, you don't have to pay paying up for the house for 30 years, for the most productive part of your life. Right? So this is the kind of thing that he did. But you see, not everybody that has money can give that kind of money away. Not everybody that is wealthy can give $420,000 away as an offering. In fact, people that have money and don't have God think they are doing God a favor when they give. So when they give to the church or they give to the work of God or they, do, they think they are doing benevolence. They think they are doing charitable donation. <laughs> they think they are doing God a favor. And there are also poor people who, will not, who cannot give because they think they are doing God. So it's not about you know, the, the size of the money. It's about the size of the heart. So what God saw here was a man whose heart was pursuing after him. So was a man who realized that the temple of God was more important than his own dwelling place. Was a man who realized that no amount of money you give me is too much for me to give to your work. And this is the challenge of the Christian faith. If you can, if you can get a grip over money, if you can just grasp this, I mean, <laughs> what, what was, it was, it was um, over the, during the week, 
You know, one of my sons in the faith, this is one of the few people that I can call that, okay? I don't throw that around. But this one is genuinely a son to me in the faith because I helped him to grow as a Christian. Now, he was asking me a question, and he was, he was saying that, um, how do you know when God is calling you into ministry? That how do you know? How do you, how do you ascertain that, you know, this is God calling me into ministry? And I thought about it for a while. I didn't answer him for a while. I just let him be. But I thought about it. I said, you know, there are so many spiritual answers I can give this guy now. I can say... Uh, you know, all these things are, that I teach about how to hear from God, you know, how to know, discern the voice of God, know all those things. Those things are nice. But let me tell you the truth. And I'll show you in, in, in the Bible. I'll show you in Luke. We'll get there. It's, the Bible talk, talks about the fact that if you are not faithful in the unrighteous mammon, God cannot give you the true riches. Wisdom is true riches. God can't trust you with wisdom if he cannot trust you with money. So I said to him, I said, this is how you will know that God is calling you into ministry. If if God decides right now that he, he wants to give you money, huh, and he gives you, let's say, $10 million, just imagine it for one second, that God just drops it on you now, $10 million, right? Enters your account right now. Some of you are already sweating right now, even as I'm saying it. <laughs> the money has not even entered your account. But just imagine that you have $10 million right now. I asked him this question. I said, what will you do with that money? What will you do with it? And, of course, it took, it took some time, and he answered you know, the, normal, the normal Christian answer. I'll pay my tithe, and then I will do this, then I will, I will I, there's this course I've always wanted to study. I'll do it, I'll do that, and do that. I told him, I said, that is what is in your heart. Look at what, the, what God said to Solomon. He said, because this was in your heart. So money reveals what is in your heart. So I said to him, I said, that's what is in your heart. Ministry is not in your heart. So don't, God is not calling you to ministry, because if God dumps money on you, the first, listen, the day that I made up my mind that I was a pastor, that I decided, was a, a few years ago, that day I decided that, no, this is what God has called me to do with my life. Because the Holy Spirit, out of the blues, one day, asked me a question, a very random question. And he said to me, he said, if I give you money right now, there was no figure, he just asked me a question. He said, if I give you money right now, that you never have to work for the rest of your life, what will you do with the rest of your life? That was the question the Holy Spirit asked me. And I'm not saying this to sound like a, like, a, like a special person. I'm just telling you what came to my heart. The first thing that came to my heart was that I would go into ministry. That if God gives me money and I don't have to go to work every day, I don't have to do any work, that I can do what I want, whatever I want to do, I'll go into ministry. I want to help people to mature in the Christian faith. That's what I want to do. I want to lead people to Jesus and help them to grow in the fastest possible time, in the shortest possible way. And, and this, that was the concept that entered my heart. The first thing that entered my heart and I knew that day, I knew that day, apart from all the other spiritual things <laughs> that I can tell you about how God confirmed this, how you know, he prophesied this, how this one happened, that one thing gave me an assurance that this is the thing that is inside my heart. Because that's what God said here. He said, this was in your heart, and you have not asked riches or wealth. So, you need to ask yourself this question. It's not just for, for people that are, that are pastors or whatever. You need to ask yourself, what is the most important thing? in your heart that you will do with money. If God cannot trust you with money, he cannot give you money. Any amount of money that is too much for you to release is too much for God to give to you. If God gives you $1 million right now, let me ask you, if God gives you $1 million right now, can you or can you not release every single dime of it for the kingdom? That's the question I want to ask you. I told that, that, that my son, I said, you see, this is not about you going into ministry because you think ministry is flamboyant and you will get money. I'm saying to you that if God is calling you, you will settle it in your heart that I can work for the rest of my life to fund the ministry that God has given me. That is the heart of a person that understands kingdom. 
It's not me first. It's not, it's not that, you know, money enters your hand and the money, I mean, money that is not even anything and it's too, it's too much for you to release it. You are looking at it and saying, ah, if I give this, what will happen to me? You are not yet ready. I'm telling you, you are not yet ready. And it's not a sin that you are not ready. I'm just saying you are not. And that's not kingdom. Uh-huh. That is me first. You are still in me first. You need to grow up from that and move up. So I said to him, I said, go and chill. See, that uh, course that you said, that is what is in your heart. That is what, right now, that's what God wants you to focus on. Uh-huh. That is not yet ministry. When you come to the point where you understand that any amount of money that comes into my hand is not too big for me to release for the work of God, that's when you are ready. You have come to the point now where God can give you a blank check. That's why God asked Solomon, what do you want me to give to you? So it's not that, you know, Solomon was just a special genius. No, because those things are written for our own good too. So it wasn't that Solomon was just special. It was that God saw in him a man that he could trust with money. So ask yourself that question. If money was no longer a problem, if money was no longer a problem, what would you do with the rest of your life? What would you do if money was no longer a problem? Luke chapter number 16 and verse 11. Let me show you that scripture that I was quoting just a moment ago. Luke chapter 16, verse 11. We've come very far. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, which is money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So God is saying, if I cannot find you faithful, I mean, there are Christians today that if God gives them $5,000 and they pay tithes from that $5,000, they think that they have done God a favor. Do you understand this? Like, they think that, ah, they are now, they've achieved some superior level of Christianity because I paid tithes. Out of that 5,000, I removed my tithes. I paid my tithes. And they think that they have achieved a level of superiority. God is looking for people who he can trust with everything. Who can, they will just say, I'm, I'm just going to be a channel. There are levels in this thing, guys. There are levels in this thing. They will tell God, all I want to be is a channel. I don't want anything. I just want to be a channel. Those are the people that God trusts with the big box. Those are the people that God knows that if I put money in this guy's hand, he will do with it exactly what I want done with it. That's what he's going to do. What, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? It was because they removed some part of the money that was legitimately their own. It was their money. They didn't have to come and say we're giving everything. They could have just said, we're going to keep this little part, right, and we'll give you this part. But they wanted it to look like they were doing, you know, what God wanted or what was the, what was the, the, the norm. Because the believers there were, were just radical. They were giving everything. So they too wanted to belong in that fold. But they were keeping something for themselves. So God is saying, can I trust you with everything? Can I, can I say that I'm giving you a piece of land and I'm asking you to sell that piece of land and give everything to the kingdom? Can you do that? That's what we're talking about. That's why God gave Solomon wisdom. That's, so this is what I'm, where I'm getting to. I'm trying to show you how Solomon came about this wisdom that we're talking about. This is the reason why God gave him that wisdom. Not because he was a genius or he was special. So he has to find you faithful in money. I've spent so much energy <laughs> stressing this point because I want you to get this point. This is where people falter. This is the point where people, you know... Be, see, it's, it's one thing to have this knowledge experientially. It's one thing to know in your mind that, oh, if I, if I need to receive, I need to give. You know, they're giving, if I give, I will receive, okay? That's what I, what I really wanted to say. If I, if I give, God will give me in return. God will bless me in return. Okay, that, uh, you, you know, if I sow, I will reap. Or that if I, if, I, if I need something, you know, I can sow a seed for it. I can, I can name my seed. I can do all of it. You know, it's, it's one thing to have that in your mind as theory. Or to know that, oh, if God gives me some big money, I have to pay my tithe. It's one thing to know. But wait until your tithe amounts to $10,000. 
wait until the tithe that you are about to give to the church is $10,000. That's when you will know what is in your heart. <laughs> That's when you will ask yourself, ah, 10000 ah, I'll just give 10000 to church. Ah, no, 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 we can't do that. Maybe I should split it among three churches. <laughs> That's when you will start seeing, you, it will reveal the content of your heart. That's when we'll know. That's when we'll know who you really are. So it's not about that, okay, uh, you know, you, you, uh, I paid my tax, I did God a favor, or I gave money to church, I did God a favor. You are not doing God a favor. Uh-huh. Everything that, this is the people that God is looking for. He's looking for people that realize that everything that comes into their hand, God is, is entrusting it to them. He's not looking for people that, you know, that will give offering today and they will think that, you know, I've done, I've done God. I've, I mean, I've tried now. I've tried, <laughs> you know. And people will be, have this, you know, superiority thing in their mind. No, no, no. He's looking for people that are sold out. Sold out. And you can have it in your head as head knowledge. But until money enters your hand, until you get money that you can legitimately spend on yourself, guilt-free. This is not that you stole the money. It's your own money. Uh-huh. Maybe it's, your, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, an inheritance that somebody gave you. But I remember one time when I, while I was, uh, I was a campus uh, fellowship pastor, there was this gentleman that you know, had, had entered into an inheritance all of a sudden, right? I think he lost his dad or something, and his dad had left him with this inheritance. And he came to me one day and, and brought this money and said, I want us to buy a keyboard for the fellowship. Listen, at that time, the money that the dude brought at that time, because we were students, I looked at the money, I said, ah, listen, we bought the keyboard though, eventually, but I had to ask myself, I said, if I come about this kind of money, will I pay this as tight on top of, would I, would, would I be able to do that? So I started to work on that part of my life that, you see, I'm, I don't think I'm at the point yet where I can do this. So, so at, at that point, I started with little things, I started giving away my phones, giving away, I remember one Timberland boot that I had that was so precious to me, I gave it away, you know, practicing that to, to ensure that I'm not attached to anything. That there's nothing too big for me to surrender for the purpose of the kingdom. And there's not, no amount of money that God can give me right now. God himself in heaven, he knows. As I'm talking now, he knows. <laughs> he can see my heart. <laughs> that any money he doesn't want me to use for the kingdom, he should not give me. Uh-huh. Because if he gives me, he knows what I'm going to do with it. It's as simple as that. That's the point you have to get to. Then you can ask. He will give you a blank check. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. I'm challenging you today, guys. We are not going to be here just doing Christianity, you know, this shallow Christianity, and just be doing anyhow. No, 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 no. We are, is it that we are all in or we are not in? Uh-huh. There's, no, there's no middle ground in this thing. Is it that we are all in in the kingdom or we are not ready? And we have to make up our minds. Are we ready to go all in with God or we just want to stay on, on the outside? So this is what we need to, and this is what separates us. This is what separates us from, from unbelievers. And we have to be different. We have to stand out in that way, okay? So what was the result of this wisdom? Let's look at this. this the practical thing that happened as a result of this wisdom that God gave Solomon. And maybe we'll tie it up there for today, all right? I, I had a lot I wanted to share with you, but I've spent a lot of time explaining that. I think that's what God really wants you to hear today, okay? So 1 Kings chapter number 3, from verse 16 to 28. This is, this is massive. This is... This is <laughs> The practical demonstration of wisdom. 1 Kings 3, 16 to 28. Now, two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, Oh my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. 
So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while my maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid a dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was, dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they said before the king, and the king said, how would you like to be Solomon at this time? <laughs> you know, it's easy to read this after the fact, to read what, you know what happened. So it's easy to read it now and say, uh, yes, now he just said, cause the baby. And they said, and they agreed, that, oh, don't, don't kill the baby. But imagine that you are the king in this scenario. He said, the one says, this is my son who lives, and the son is the dead one. And the other one says, no, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. Then the king said, bring me a sword. This is practical demonstration. This is, that's why, you see, wisdom is not a theoretical thing. Wisdom is not one thing that stays in the cloud <laughs> and you are just, you know, no, no, it's, it's practical. It's, it is the thing that gives you the ability to give answers when things look challenging. That is what wisdom is. He said, so they brought a sword before the king and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, Oh my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill her. She is his mother. So he, he, he realized immediately that there's no way a mother of a child will want the child to die, no matter what it is. So this, this has to be the mother. And all Israel, listen to this, all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king. For they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Look at this. So the wisdom of God is a practical thing. It is not theoretical. Just as there is wisdom to administer justice, there is also the wisdom of God to succeed in school. That wisdom exists in God. That is the wisdom that, that made me come out as the best student in my department. Even though I was a pastor on campus for most of, of my school years, even though in my 300 level, I started working. I started an internship that eventually entered into my fourth year. I was working. I was, I was hardly in school. But there is a wisdom in God. There is a wisdom in God that you find yourself in a, in a situation in your business. There is a wisdom to succeed. You find yourself in an immigration challenge. There is a wisdom. There is an applicable wisdom for that time. You just have to access it. And you need to ask God for it. So there is a wisdom for you to stand out at your place of work. In your career, that wisdom exists in God. Wisdom to succeed in ministry. Wisdom to build your family. To, to, to make your marriage work. There is a wisdom in God. It says the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. So the wisdom of God, as we have, we have said in this series, is in you. To, to lead your home is in you. The wisdom of God to succeed in school is right there inside you. All you need to do is to activate it. Like Paul said, stir up the gift of God that is on the inside of you. But more often than not, we are, we are, we are quicker to consult Google than to consult the word of God. The, the, in fact, some of us might, will one day want to ask Google to go and urinate for us. Because everything is Google. You, you, before you even try to look at things, any other, you want to, the first thing, and, and you know, the, the, it's not even as bad for you to always consult Google, but that you always believe Google. That's worse. <laughs> there are some people that they believe everything that they read on Google. You, you tell them that this is not correct. Actually, when it comes to Bible things, they go to Google. You say, this is not correct. They'll be arguing with you. But I read it on Google. You don't know what you're doing. 
So Google is not your, is not your Lord. He did not die for you, okay? Google is a good tool, <laughs> but Google did not save your life, all right? I'm just saying, all right? I know some of you will not like me again after today's message, but I have to share with you what God has put on my heart to share, okay? So the wisdom of God guarantees you real answers when you have difficult questions in life. Real answers. Like what happened to Daniel and his friends. You know that story in Daniel chapter 2, from verse 12 to 23. He said, he told him, he said, give us some time. I'm not going to read the whole thing because of time. But I'm just going to point out the part that I want you to understand here, where the king was going to kill everybody. And then the, the Daniel said to him, Daniel went in and asked the king, Daniel chapter 2, verse 12 to 23. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. So they, they, there's a challenge at your place of work. You tell them, give me some time. And you go into your own company and you seek the face of God. And practical wisdom comes out that they might seek mercies from God of heaven concerning these secrets so, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Israel. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. This is exactly what happened to Solomon. It was a dream, but it was just as real as though it happened physically. When God told Solomon, ask anything, it was not like God appeared in his room. It was a dream, just like what happened to Daniel. It was in a night vision. So, so, and he said, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. This is, this is what we're talking about, that you begin to experience this. After, after this series, you begin to experience practical wisdom. Let's look at Jesus' Jesus's example. Jesus is also, because Jesus is our perfect example. I'm, I'm, I'll just wrap it up with that. In Matthew chapter number 22, this is where they were trying to trap Jesus with question about taxes to Caesar. You remember this story, Matthew 22, verse 15 to 22. It says, then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard that, <laughs> they marveled and left him and went their way. So the, this wisdom of God that we're talking about silences your accusers. You can read John chapter 8. This is the story of the woman caught in adultery. John chapter 8, verse 1 to 12. Read it, read it at home and see what Jesus did here. I, I read it to you a, a couple of weeks ago. All right, But I want to point out the end of the story. You know this story very well. But I, I want to point out something to you at the end of the story here. When Jesus had said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, and everybody had gone. Then he said, let me start reading from verse 10. When Jesus had, had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then verse 12, look at what Jesus said here. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Somehow we always miss this verse in this story. But this is the essence of what Jesus did here. He wanted to show them that, you see, if you follow me, you will not miss your way. I am the light of the world. If you walk with me, you cannot walk in darkness. That's what he was saying with this story. That the fact, what you have just seen me do is a display of the wisdom of God. That he wasn't in a hurry. The Bible says he was writing in the sand as if he didn't hear them. 
<laughs> and I like that part so much. He said, he just ignored them, their question. Because he was, he was searching within his spirit for the answer. Don't forget that Jesus was a man anointed by God. Some people have said here that, oh, Jesus knew the question they were going to ask. No, sir. No, no. It wasn't every time. Jesus only knew what he, the Holy Spirit revealed to him. Uh-huh. When he was on earth, that's how he operated. He operated as a man that was anointed by God, not as God. Uh-huh. So it's not like he knew everything. No, he, he, he was working with the Holy Spirit. That's why he needed the Holy Spirit, to set an example for us, to show us how we are supposed to function on the earth. And that's exactly what he did. And then he ended up by saying, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. You will not walk in darkness. So I want to encourage you today, if this is the first time you are hearing about Jesus, or maybe you have heard about Jesus all your life, but you have never made a decision, a commitment to follow him. Come to Jesus and you will no longer walk in darkness. That's what he said. He said, if you follow me, there cannot be darkness in your life anymore. You cannot be lost concerning anything. You can never get to a crossroad in your life and feel like, I don't know what to do. That will never be your story if you come to him. So I want to give you this opportunity today. If you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to ask you to say a simple prayer with me. It's a very simple prayer, but it's a very powerful prayer. And you, the, the, the Lord will save your soul today. He will write your name in the book of life, and this will be a done deal once and for all for you, okay? So let me just lead you in this simple prayer. Say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you to say it. Say it out. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in my heart that God sent you to die for my sins. I confess with my mouth that he raised you from the dead on the third day. I accept you into my life today as my Lord and as my Savior. Say, Holy Spirit, come into my life today. Say it one more time. Say, Holy Spirit, I receive you into my life by faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me pray with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for my brother and my sister. Thank you for for leading them to yourself, for drawing them to yourself. I ask, oh God, that you will receive them today. Ask that you will wash away their sins, write their names in the book of life, and begin to walk with them, that will lead them into eternity and glory with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from Believer's House. We hope you've been blessed. Please visit us at www.believershouse.church for more information about our church or to send us your questions, comments, and feedback. We hope to see you again soon.